and Ayurveda is Ayur is life and Veda is wisdom or um, wisdom slash science because for most of mankind, spirit and wisdom and science all were one thing. We've only kind of artificially separated that in the recent past. It so happens that culture has moved away from these timeless and universal philosophies that are prevalent in so many cultures. But in modern day culture, it has been pushed away in many ways. But that doesn't make it any less belonging to humankind. Hey, welcome to the SpaceCast. This is Lauren here, and this is Inspired Astrology. I have to tell you that Mercury retrograde grabbed me by the throat in the last couple of days because I did a recording, um, almost 40 minutes uh, regarding the astrology report for this week with some personal anecdotes. And for some reason, I can't get it to edit. I can't get it to load. Um, So this is take two of the new moon in Aquarius report for 2021. Um, I am, I just have to say, I'm so excited about today's guest. We have Shilpa Shankaran from Kosha Spa and Retreat, an Orvedic spa located in Madison, Wisconsin, in the Garver building there, which I can't wait to go and visit. (laughs) Um, Funny enough, she was highlighted in Midwest Living magazine, which my partner formerly wrote for. And we got a copy of the magazine, and I was so drawn to the article written about the spa and the community that's being developed there, the sustainability, the practice, bringing this ancient 5,000-year-old wisdom um, into the heartland in a very accessible way. So I hope that you enjoy the conversation with Shilpa as much as I enjoyed having it. It was meaningful. Uh, I was very touched um, by her sharing her story, her experience, and also my own my own life and my own connection to Orveda, to yoga, to the wisdom of human culture that is so powerful. And I'm really excited to have her on as my guest today. So to do the new moon and Aquarius report once again, we have some pretty exciting astrology for this week. And with all this Aquarian energy, we have to think about Aquarius as a fixed air sign. You know, here we are in the in the dead of winter in the northern atmosphere. This is the coldest part of the year before the season shifts, right? So that's what fixed energy is about, is really sticking to the core of a season. So think about, you know, July and Cancer. Um, moving into Leo and Leo is the fixed energy of summer so you have the transition from spring into summer during uh, cancer when the solstice hits and then you have that fixed energy where it's really sticking to the heart and core of that energy so that if that gives you some illustration about how fixed energy works uh, that is part of Aquarius's nature so often there is some stubbornness that comes with the Aquarian uh 
way of moving through the world um, because an Aquarius is often not want to change their mind unless they come to that conclusion on their own. This is part of the mental processing that comes with air element energies that, that it is about communication. It is about logic, but not so much logic as it is the, the mental capacity to work through on the mental abstract plane and process and to move to new understandings through that that sojourn into the the psyche into the consciousness so aquarius is its modern rulership is uranus which is a planet that is really going to be highlighted this year with the saturn squares to uranus happening three times in an exact motion and we'll talk more about that next week um, but certainly it's about this idea of conservatism versus change, the idea of society marching on, the march of progress, so to speak. And that, that idea of progress is core to the Aquarian identity with, with Uranus being its, its new ruler. Uh, funny enough that Saturn is the the traditional ruler of Aquarius. And I think that, that different individuals sort of host different qualities of both of those ruling planets. You know, the conservatism, this idea of sticking with organization and community and that bond, the importance of structure and group and um, hierarchy, so to speak, that, that makes things work within a society. And then Uranus being this constant of change that asks us to move beyond what's comfortable and to take us to new levels of understanding. Aquarius is so much about being 10 years ahead of the game. And I think that almost every Aquarius I've talked to really has that sense of like, I've been saying that for years. Why did it take so long to come around? Or just walking to the beat of their own drum, being their own person. And I think that that, that idea of group identity is just as important. Aquarius rules the 11th house. The 11th house is associated with groups, hopes and wishes, fears and dreams, everything kind of ahead in the futuristic sort of quality that comes from, um, you know, once we process ourselves in a, in a career aspect, in a public image aspect, how will we be remembered within our group context? Who are the people that we associate with, identify with, and ultimately want to support and assist? And that's really part of Aquarius's energy and that idea of group dynamic and being a part of, not necessarily included. There's often this sense of alienation. I think that's where a lot of the jokes of Aquarius and like, you know, alien jumpsuits. We'll see a lot of memes online this time of year that sort of that 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 hosts that idea of like really being outside the box. And I think that's where Uranus's energy really comes into play in speaking to the truth of Aquarian's energy. We have six planets, seven if you include uh, Pallas Athena, who's also a, an asteroid and would be considered part of, of modern astrology. Um, in, in, my, in my work, I, I'm just focusing on the six planets that are all in Aquarius right now. We have the sun and moon conjunct in Aquarius. Of course, this being a new moon, it's a reset button for the month and for the season. 
This is a time where we get to um, move into that dark space and plant the seeds for what is going to come up in the in the season ahead for us. I think with the new moon being at the tail end of Aquarius season, it's more of a sealing the envelope for me than it is planting new seeds, right? Am I right? So I think this is a, is a time really to consider what's ahead for planting. We had in bulk last week, which is a holiday about considering the plans ahead and, and really dreaming big. What's ahead for us? What is our intentions for the season, for the spring that is just on the horizon line for us? So we have the sun, the moon. We have the planet Mercury, which is a hard-hitting player in this chart. We have Venus conjunct Jupiter, and then we have Saturn. So all of those planets are going to be in this Aquarius stellium. And to use that uh, that idea of a six-car pileup, if that gives you a visual for yourself, it's, it's the idea that all these planets are pretty closely connected within that 30-degree range of Aquarius in, to, in today's chart, as well as the new moon, which falls on Thursday, February 11th. As I take a drink here, I think about this energy of the water bearer. If we think about the the symbolism for Aquarius, the water bearer, this idea of pouring forth knowledge, pouring forth hydration, really hydrating um, the masses in a way with this idea of, of group consciousness and group service. World service is the identity of the Aquarius when we look at the wisdom teachings. Um, because it is the 11th sign in the zodiac this is one of the higher vibrations the higher connections of what it means to be in group service the first part of the zodiac we have you know really about the development of self and then moving that self into community and then we move it into world service or group service and i think aquarius is very 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 much about that idea of group conscience and the connectivity and what we have to personally offer into the, into the masses and also how we utilize our energy and how that affects resource later on and i want to talk about that just for a moment uh, in some of the meditations that you might perform for the new moon. A lot of people like to do rituals or have a bath or maybe a journal entry. Um, I think that there's a lot of really beautiful communities hosting opportunities and events like that. If you're a solo practitioner, just make some space for yourself to, to do some journaling. Uh, contemplation session, which would be a little different than meditation, where you're asking for insight. You might pull a few cards if that's something that is part of your personal practice. Really, this is about what what works for you and what feels good for you. There is no one-size-fits-all way of journeying into um, spiritual and self-actualization. It's all a process, right? But if I can give you a journal prompt, I'd like for you to think about how you're utilizing your own energy, your resources, and how that may affect the bigger picture, right? How you affect community in, in shared resources, what you're utilizing today, what you're consuming today, and how that will affect things in the long run, either for your progeny, for future generations, and for future lives, if you really want to take it out into a larger concept of of use of resource. Reincarnation is a big part of uh, my personal understanding of the universe. Energy is neither created or destroyed. It just, you know, reinvents itself, right? It just takes new forms. So this idea of the, the energy and the resources that we use today, that will affect future lifetimes for us. 
How are we relating with water? How are we taking care of planet Earth right now? Think about that. It goes pretty deep if you if you take it down the rabbit hole. So I mentioned Mercury. Mercury in Aquarius um, is it, it's not about aloofness, right? It's it's about really connecting into that mental abstract realm. So this may be an interesting time to do meditations to think about um, new insights and receiving new information for the way that you move through the world, what you're writing about, what you're thinking about. But Mercury is going to be pretty close to a direct square to Mars in Taurus. Um, this can create some rush thinking, maybe a little bit of open hostility. Uh, so direct your energy skillfully. That would be my recommendation for the energy this week because it feels a little in contrast to all the sweet, ushy-gushy of the Venus and Jupiter conjunction, right? Which is so much about expansion, the social focus on relationships, attracting blessings, um, it can also be about spending to fill a void, you know, so watch your pocketbook, watch about where you're spending. Are you distracting yourself? Do you really need that new pair of socks or a new shiny thing? Um, and there's nothing wrong with new shiny things, but this comes back to right relationship and group resource, right? Um, other energy this week, we have Saturn sextile to Chiron, which is really supportive of easing the healing of unresolved wounds. And I, I think that um, woundedness might be appearing for you in the context of a public identity or maybe your career path. Uh, Chiron is in Aries. And so this is about, you know, stepping forth into who you truly are. And Saturn, usually when it's in a, in a strict conflict, it can be about um, too much restriction, too much discipline. But when we have sextiles, it offers an opportunity, sort of a grace of discipline and paying attention, really uh, using your resource into that space of recognizing who and what you are and what you want to be doing with your time and energy. So here we are with all this Aquarian energy falling close to Valentine's Day. Um, I hope that this will bring some insight into the Aquarian dynamic and things that might apply for you personally. And I am so excited to bring on Shilpa now and hope that you are taking good care of yourself. Kin is a modern mystical shop located in the heart of Des Moines, Iowa's East Village. Femme-centric at its core, Kin is a woman-owned and operated business. The shop is filled with specialty products from women-owned businesses across the country. Candles, body care, the shop's Venusian energy comes in as soon as you step into the door, whether it's online or in person. Ethically sourced crystals, Palo Santo and Sage are just some of the highlights, along with an exquisite collection of vintage jewelry. Shop online at kindsm.com and let them know that Lauren sent you. I was so excited to chat with you um, just because Orvade has been such a big part of my life the last 10 years and my growth process. You know, this morning I got up and scraped my tongue and drank my hot lemon water <laughs> and used my neti pot and... I have actually never gotten a chance to really speak with an Ayurvedic practitioner and, you know, everything that you do. So I just, I'm so pleased to, to invite you on here um, to chat with the audience about your life and your path and your service. Um, oh my gosh. I'm so, so excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so you're opening the spa 
uh, on on Thursday this week. And did, did you have an opportunity to serve the public before the pandemic went down? What's the story with that? Yeah, it, we've been through uh, multiple lives and rebirth. Um, the spa we opened in November of 2019. And we were open for four months and we just started to kind of catch a little momentum. Then we closed for four months because of the pandemic. Then we opened again in the summer for four months. And then we closed again in November, uh, around a year um, from our anniversary. And so here we are again. (laughs) And um, I think this is just part of the life cycle of Kosha and what it was before it even came to life in the space that it came. It's just been through so many deaths and rebirths and um, shedding and um, it's coming back in a, in a beautiful form this time around. I, I listened to your um, YouTube um, about like what, what's, what's ahead for you. Um, It's a link on your website to a, a video offering. And you talked specifically about accepting change and letting us like navigate it with ease. And I thought, this human has a lot of fire in her <laughs> to be able to have such a fervent interest in change and adaptation. And I would love to hear about, you know, these deaths and rebirth processes, because that, that is kind of the nature of fire and what it sounds mm-hmm. like Kosha is, is sort of offering is these gifts of renewal. Um, tell me more about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful way of putting it is talking about the gifts of renewal. Um, and and I do have pitta imbalance right now. I'm tridoshic, but I have pitta imbalance right now. So, you know, the fire is there. But um, in general, I grew up in um, first-generation Indian immigrant. Um, my parents, we lived in Boise, Idaho. My dad changed jobs. We lived in Chicago. My dad changed jobs. We lived in Madison, Wisconsin. And then he started his own business and he kept starting different businesses with my mom. And so this idea of, you know, you get married and you get a job and then you retire with that job, like that was not my reality of stability. Stability lived in, within this sense of change and, um, and I feel secure with it and I actually anticipate it and, um, embrace it because anyway, we're all changing all the time. Right. So just some changes are bigger than others. And, um, and then you can just kind of float along with that. And so Kosha, likewise, that's happening with Kosha, but also, um, it's a, it's a vessel for people to be able to go through that process on their own and shedding the Koshas or at least processing, our layers of the self can be pretty um, disruptive and um, can be scary. But if we feel that that's a safe space and we should expect it, then the, the change can actually be comforting. That's so beautiful. I think, I think that I'd like to get some terminology straightened out just for listeners who are not familiar with things like you said, you're tridoshic 
and referring to koshas, which is not only the name of kosha, the spa, but also koshas, these spiritual, subtle, and physical components of our bodies. Like they, the koshas are the bodies in, mm-hmm. in my understanding. So I'd love to hear, you know, Orveda means life wisdom and for, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing it. I'm, you know, I do my best. <laughs> You're doing great. Um, so I, I do want to clarify one thing, um, which you may not know, and that is that I am not an Ayurvedic practitioner. I am a seeker, and um, I started my career as a management consultant. I've I helped startups in San Francisco. I started a, a prefab construction company doing net zero energy buildings. I ran a nonprofit for net zero energy construction. I, you know, I've done a lot of different things. And um, so, you know, going back to that sense of change before you can see that that's sort of been my path. Um, But this is something that um, came to me and is part of me. And we can kind of get back to that after we get into some of the the terminology here. Um, But I opened Kosha um, because it's because Ayurveda is a part of my life. And Ayurveda is, Ayur is life and Veda is wisdom or um, wisdom slash science because for most of mankind, spirit and wisdom and science all were one thing. We've only kind of artificially separated that in the recent past. Um, and Ayurveda dates back about 5,000 years in India in um, the Vedas, which are these ancient scriptures that describe all kinds of aspects of our life. Um, and yoga is is also from that um, time period as well as the, the same scriptures. And so Ayurveda is said to be the sister science to yoga where yoga is sort of how we relate to the universe and Ayurveda being how the universe relates to us and our bodies. And in that way, we are, as most people, I guess, could agree with, if you think about it, um, we're made up of all the same things. We're all the same stuff, right? Some people say we're the stuff of stars, we're the stuff of, but generally Ayurveda breaks it down into five elements. And that's fire, water, air, ether, which is more space. Air is more the movement, um, kind of wind, wind element, um, and earth. And if we're all made of the same stuff, then we also can acknowledge our oneness, but we acknowledge that we also are made up of um, these elements in different compositions. So our individual constitution is something we are born with and that's called our prakriti and when we're out of balance we have fikriti which is um maybe some maybe we have more fire right now and therefore it manifests in our bodies in different ways so our doshas are these constitutions and the makeup so pitta is the fire water element um kapha is if you have more earth and water in you. And vata is if you have more of the air and ether elements in you. And that can be, that is sort of your mind and body. 
And you may straddle some of these. You may change. You're never really just one thing. And the art of Ayurveda is noticing the smallest of things and making small shifts on a daily basis to kind of put those elements in balance because when we're in balance, then we feel good and we can be healthy and we can, um, our minds can be clear and we can even prevent disease. I love that small shifts mentality. And I, I speak to my clients specifically about that when facing big decisions, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like you're like steering a ship into an iceberg, you know, it's about subtle, tiny motions of, sh- of change. Absolutely. I, I love that. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's something my team and I, we were just talking about this the other day. Um, and it's a, it's a really difficult concept for some people because what many in this society are seeking is like an answer, right? Like where's the science and what's the one answer? And so, well, I have tummy trouble. So what's the one thing I should do? And then it'll go away. And it's just not so even with, even with Western medicine, it doesn't work that way. We think it does, you know, you're going to start to take antacid, but that's actually doesn't cure the problem. It doesn't make it go away permanently. And even if it does, maybe there are side effects, you know, to whatever you're taking. So there are always shifts you're making anyway, right? So if we kind of let go, it goes back to that acknowledging and embracing change and, and transformation is like, let go of this idea that one thing we do will fix and then be done with it. Um, and then we can just ease into and start to notice the micro scale and I've just, I love this idea of really just being a psychonaut, right? Like where you're getting into watching your mind and watching your body and saying, oh my gosh, how is it that I just felt really impatient the other day and noticing, you know, oh, maybe that was because every time I have dark chocolate or whatever, you know, it makes me a little antsy and you can notice these things and you can make those shifts. Now you don't have to choose to do anything about it, but that is the essence of Ayurveda is making those small changes. And over time though, they do have a profound impact. It just takes a while to get there. Yes. Psychonaut. I've never heard that term before. And I think it's my new favorite word because it makes me, it gives me such a visual image of, of the mirroring process of just paying attention to ourselves instead of having to go out and explore some universe outside of us we have a whole microcosm within us that deserves attention love curiosity mm-hmm. great well thank you for clarifying um you know that that you are sort of the um the umbrella holder of this of this you know the spa this community that you're building there And um, I'd love to hear more about your story, how you went from San Francisco, net zero sustainability building. Um, I love that idea of building and then building a space. Um, I I know that you're located in the the Garver building in Madison, which I'm not familiar with. But um, yeah, tell me, tell me what soil that you that you grew from. Oh, my goodness. It's um, it's one of those things like you don't realize until you're doing something 
how all the little pieces of your entire life really were just part of this bigger picture that, you know, where you landed now, um, even if you didn't choose them. And then, you know, you could probably go back even further into your ancestry, which has been part of what I'm discovering. Um, and so I, you know, I was born in India, but as I said, we lived all over and landed in Middleton, Wisconsin, which is a, a very, um, not was not a very diverse community when I was growing up. And so I really pushed away my Indian roots. And um, even though it was present in my house, um, there were so many little things that my parents did, including, you know, mantras and um, different teas my mom would make and just the way she would cook. And all those things were present. We would, we did, we learned all the, the Sanskrit prayers and, um, learned about Hinduism, but still I pushed it away, somehow felt I disconnected from it. And, and in doing so, I was really disconnecting from my soul and my essence, my ancestry, and that, that which grounds me. And so I spent a long time um, all over the place and really not hearing my own voice. And um, I ended up studying business and um, and like I said, dot com boom went out to San Francisco and I was helping startup companies. Um, and then somewhere along the way, you know, practicing yoga probably kicked it off for me going to India to visit. Um, I don't really know when and where my dad became ill with cancer. All of these things started to converge where my seeking became more in depth. I started reading Patanjali, um, the Yoga Sutras. I started reading about Ayurveda started reading about green, green design and architecture at the same time, you know, because I think, you know, the way that we live on this planet and the way that we live within ourselves are one and same, right? So if we treat ourselves well, we might want to treat the planet well too, because we see the interconnected. So I was studying, all this was self-study and, um, I had the construction company. I had a baby late in life. My husband also was from Madison. And um, when we had her, we, we just realized that San Francisco wasn't the best place for us in the way that we wanted to live. And I had this dream. We had kind of created this dream of Kosha over 15 years ago. And uh, it was about creating community. It was about bringing people together around these ideas of consciousness and um, and, and different philosophies about the body and the mind. And um, we thought we could do it in Madison. And after we traveled and lived in different places, that Madison would be a good place. And so we came back and um, my family was here. My father had since passed, but my mother was here and my two sisters and we're kind of the trifecta. We were, we're the three stars in our family. Um, and, um, Incidentally, there were, there was this, we discovered three stars, iron stars right outside the window of Kosha on the Garver building that had been there for who knows how many hundred years or something like that. Um, but they came back too. And so we, we landed here. I ended up doing sustainability consulting. I worked for the developer of the Garver feed mill, which is a hundred year old feed mill that was restored in Madison to become um, local 
sustainable food manufacturing, food production, food businesses, and wellness. Um, so it was a wonderful project. And I was helping create what was supposed to be a tiny home hotel. And, uh, and I realized my dream of Kosha just wanted to be here. I kept pushing it away and thinking, well, it was supposed to be this retreat center in the country and, and it just wanted to be here. And, and it, and the space called me really, the space has so much presence and energy um, and, and it just felt right. And so that's where we landed. Even the concept of a mill and the idea of process, I think is an alignment with everything that you've been describing. Um, mm-hmm. that's, I'm, I'm one of three sisters and oh. I, to, yeah, to hear you say, you know, we're the three stars and to see that kind of, um, that affirmation, even from the building, uh, it's, it's powerful symbolism. And to know that all three of you kind of showed up and realigned in the town that you sort of grew up in or nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it even could work. So, it, we, you know, within a year, the, one of my sister's husband is Dutch. One is from San Francisco. And the fact that we could all make it here and are still here, um, it really, it was just the way it was supposed to be, right? And And the feed mill the space that I'm in was originally it was a sugar beet factory and it was five stories high. And then the feed mill moved in and took off the top three stories so they could install a huge grain bin. And the grain bin was in my space and my space is on the second floor. And so until we, until the building was re um, re, habilitated by the this bomb bomb revision out of Chicago um the space that Kosha is in had no roof and no floor for decades and decades and decades so it was just open to the heavens it was exposed to the bare earth there were plants and animals there was a whole ecosystem in there and that you can really feel in this space and that's something that I tried to honor with the way that we chose to um kind of design the space and what we put in it. It's all very natural, lots of plants. And um, we haven't done anything with the walls. I've even kept, there's so much graffiti because it became what people call the Madison's Graffiti Museum. Um, And so there's a lot of graffiti I've chosen to keep just to honor all these different, the rebirth of this building, right? And the different, um, personalities and lives that it has had um, and just to sort of be one with it. And what we felt was ever since we moved in that Kosha was no longer ours. Or, and I went by us, I mean, my husband and I and, and my sisters and my mom and really it just became, um, it just became its own entity. And people can feel that when they're there and, and they speak of it. So the name Kosha, I mean, I even think about the, that space might be one way to translate it. Um, I, would love, I just love to hear your, you're so eloquent in describing these because how I describe like the etheric and subtle bodies, mm-hmm. the emotional, the mental, the physical, the spiritual, mm-hmm. that when we, when we don't have these, I don't want to say imbalance, but there, you know, there's an integration that has to be 
there for us to really receive soul and spirit um, infusion in a way where we can really be beacons of light. And when we have a disruption in one of these subtle bodies that is trying to communicate with us, it's like, if we're not listening to spirit, then it'll land in the mental. If we don't listen to it there, it'll land in the emotional. If it doesn't, if we don't deal with the emotions, then it lands in the physical. And I don't know if those, those sort of understandings are similar um, in this, in this, this view, this, this wisdom. It's exactly that. I mean, you described it perfectly. It's yoga philosophy. There are five koshas, um, starting with the physical and the energetic is kind of the subtle body that in a way, the mental is, um, thinking, right. That thinking mind and intellectual is more about book and learning. And then the bliss body, Ananda Maya kosha is kind of if you can get there, right? Once in a while, we catch a glimpse of it. Um, it's usually there because those others are working more harmoniously and they are integrated. And, you know, every single day for me, like I said, I'm not a practitioner. This is for me, a, I'm, it's an overused word, but it's a journey, right? So I am every day learning something and I'm choosing to make that my profession, if you will, or my business um, so that I can learn more and, um, and essentially immerse myself in it. And so the koshas from the significance for me was that I was not feeling integrated and I was feeling um, and just bouncing back and forth from like, being the really driven entrepreneur looking for Silicon Valley venture capital to, you know, when my father was dying, you know, going to that place where you just can see it, that you catch that glimpse of um, reality in a sense where um, everything else, you do see the illusion of everything around you and bouncing back and forth between these two places so many times. Um, and then the physical body suffering from that. Um, you know, I wanted just quiet and, and quieting the mind from the kind of way that we live our lives, which is constantly asking us, our society is telling us things by, you know, the media and social media and our, and our social structures. And there's always this study, the latest study and the latest trend and fad diet and book that you have to read. And just all of that, like, I just wanted quiet. And this feeling that I had when I've been in temples in India, and it feels like it's supporting you, but it's supporting you. And, um, you're not just inhabiting it, right? It's not just, and it's not telling you anything. Kind of like, so at Kosha, you know, you won't find any signs telling you like, just breathe, you know, or um, love is all there is or anything like that. There's just, it's just quiet. And we don't allow devices and, or even really talking much. It's a place to go inward and, and find your bliss body 
and see if you can start to merge all those parts of the self because once you've been worked on with the human touch and um, the energy work that we do through like um, marma therapy, which is one of the Ayurvedic practices or shiradhara, which is pouring warm oil on your third eye, all of these things along with the time you just spend and being nourished by the food that we cook in kosha kitchen, all those five koshas start to feel like they're singing together, you know? Um, and that was, that was the hope. And I, it makes me just it, and endlessly happy when people sit and tell me that that's how they feel. I feel my body's integrating just hearing you speak of the space <laughs> and the, the non-directive format and using the word retreat, you know, when you, when you place that on a, on a label, it's not the same as what you're describing. I mean, you are allowing space for people to really leave the physical material world aside for a moment and to refocus on themselves. Exactly. That's a gift. That's a gift. It's hard to find. You know, I can sometimes when I'm, it's like, I have two little kids. I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. And, you know, sometimes when you're in the shower, you get that moment, right? (laughs) Until somebody starts banging on the door. Um, And then, (laughs) so it really is, uh, it is a place of sacred um, silence. So you talked about the, um, you have to remind me the name um, for pouring the oil over the yeah, brow. Yeah, that's the Shiradhara. So it is, um, it's really an art and it's warm oil is infused with herbs based on your dosha, right? So if you are pitta dosha and you're very hot, right? We always do everything um, opposites balance and um, like increases like. So if you're pitta dosha, we're going to use herbs and um, essential oils that are cooling and calming. Um, if you're vata dosha, we're going to do, that's the air ether. We're going to do more grounding and warming. And if you are kapha, which is earth and water, we're going to be just a little more energizing and warming. So the and and then there are special herbs right that ayurvedic herbs that also have medicinal value and it is we do it manually you can go sometimes they'll have a pump but we do it manually where the the oil is poured into a copper vessel above your head so you're laying on a table and um it's poured in this very kind of rhythmic pattern where you know the vibrations and energy of the therapist is coming through their body right to the copper vessel right to the oil as well and um, circular patterns usually right over your third eye and your third eye also happens to be the convergence of a huge mass of nerves and you're melting those, you're softening them. Um, in the, in the meditation, meditation you did for me right before this, you know, you were talking about breathing out of there and Shiradhara in particular is really good for, um, anxiety, 
and insomnia and depression like it 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 has this profound if people have left seeing one person left seeing her dead father during a shiradhar <laughs> people are completely taken into like lucid dream state or just i just fall asleep <laughs> and i'm very 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 relaxed afterward and in, in sort of this trance space but it's it's quite something if you've never done it i highly recommend it the visual itself i commented on one of the emails i'd sent you um i am a firm believer that there has to be a crossover point between east and west for there ever to be harmony on this planet and i i feel that this that bringing this beautiful ancient philosophy i mean you said that the you know the vedic texts 5,000 years, you know, there, that's a lot of weight behind it in a, in a culture that's only a couple hundred mm -hmm. years old. And the, this idea of hydrating and nourishing and pouring oil over the third eye for people who are so stressed out and who are not really tapped into their intuition because they're in fight or flight mode. And I, I you know, I, I sold supplements for a long time and worked in a, in a health food store and I was very taken by ashwagandha mm. and holy basil. And Tulsi is one of my go-tos for, for regular, you know, stress support and for a, a daily mm -hmm. tonic. You know, herbs are so nourishing. And, you know, drinking warming teas this season and, and constantly keeping in contact with, with herbs. I think that that's something that I've integrated in the last 10 years of my life. Someone who I was a kid who only liked <laughs> sweets and never ate, I never ate well, like period. I just ate <laughs> junk for most of my life. And it threw, it threw my entire being out of balance because I was just looking for bliss, but not true bliss. I was looking for false nirvana in a way through, through pleasure seeking. And I, I know that a lot of people are wired that way because of fear and fear of change. And that brings us, you know, back into those first, you know, conversations we were having about accepting change to navigate and th that it's hard, but if we take small shifts, small movements, and, and I think that immersing yourself in a, in a situation like what you've created at Kosha may allow folks to tap into something that they didn't even know was available. Yeah. To I love that. Um, what <laughs> I, you know, so much of what you just said resonates for me because, um, you know, it, I, there are Ayurvedic clinics that you can go to. And i I think people are intimidated by that because it's like, I don't know what I'm going for or what to expect. Right. And, and it, you know, there are these strange names and why, I don't know if it'll be strange for me to go, <laughs> to sign up. And so I really wanted to create something very accessible for people. <clears throat> so it's a spa. I mean, you go and you'll feel good, <laughs> right? You can use our sauna, you can get a facial, you can get a massage. And what the hope is, is that we can't tell you about Ayurveda, but you will feel it. And you will slowly, when you're ready, ask questions and get curious about the things that that speak to you. So everything we do, you know, the aromatherapy, the teas we make, I make them every morning. I Right now I'm doing cumin, coriander, fennel, and holy basil and lavender, right, for immunity and for um, calming during the season. So everything we 
cook as well, warming, grounding foods right now with warming, grounding spices in our meal plan. Um, they're all designed to, to be supporting you Ayurvedically, but you know, the people who really get into it are going to start taking, um, to learn more, but also coming in for counseling sessions, for example, which we offer with our therapists and you just go as far as you need to. But I wanted to open this up because of all the things that you're saying, you know, we have a society, I think really based on pleasure seeking and avoidance and insulating ourselves from the things that might seem scary. And it's, it's really just false pleasure because in doing so we're escaping ourselves and we feel ungrounded. You know, there is a very, the dominant dosha of this society is going to be vata or pitta or both. And the vata is like the multitasking anxiety being such an epidemic right now. And um, pitta, you know, that's with, with, digestive issues, um, autoimmune issues, people who can't, um, who are just driven, work driven, all of that is avoidance and, and lacking the earth element, which is grounding. And when we take away that third, <laughs> the third dosha, it's like our missing dosha in our society is kapha, which is the earth water element. Um, then, you know, this is my theory on things, maybe getting too far out there, but you know, we can sell you stuff because if we keep people ungrounded and disconnected from society, then we can sell you more sugar and more media and all the things that'll make you feel good in the moment. But if you really want that sustained good feeling that goes deeper and deeper, um, it's about finding that balance and finding it through these other means and, and becoming a psychonaut, right? And, and those small, small things that are going to give you the true change versus, um, you know, the, the quick change that goes away. Yeah. The yeah. fix. Um, what are your feelings about, you know, I, like, I want to know about your clientele. I'm wondering if it's primarily women and you work with your sisters and your mother there. Um, I'm just, I'm curious about, you know, you're, you're bringing the, the roots of your being, you know, like you said, you sort of pressed away your traditional Indian heritage in childhood only to, to come back to that and fully embrace it so that you can process and continue to integrate it for yourself. But what are your feelings about these traditional wisdoms being, um, I think, co-opted? And I think the word cultural appropriation is a big target word these days, especially in uh, within mm -hmm. yoga communities. So I'd, I'd love any thoughts that you had about that because your offering is so genuine. And I know that probably your clients are either curious or they're genuinely moving into that space because they know they can benefit from that information. Yeah. I mean, this is such a topic. And I, I, I remember about a year ago reading some article about how, you know, people, I think it was an Indian even who said like, well, people shouldn't be saying namaste in yoga and how terrible that we're saying namaste at the end of our yoga class. And, um, you know, my mom and sisters and I have talked quite a bit about this as well. And I, I just, 
it doesn't bother me. <laughs> I think that, you know, if we're talking about a wisdom that's 5,000 years old, that stood the test of time, if you really look at the wisdom, it's, it's about the fact that we are all one, right? And so it's timeless, it's universal. It's not bound by a cultural barrier. Um, it so happens that culture has moved away from these timeless and universal philosophies that are prevalent in so many cultures. But in modern day culture, it has been pushed away in many ways. But that doesn't make it any less belonging to humankind. Um, you know, I, it doesn't belong more to me because I'm Indian. I'm just more familiar with it because it's stayed present for me culturally. And so, you know, I, I think cultural appropriation, really, the word is when um, people feel that it, a cultural... Um, whatever it is, practice or, or word or what is, is being co-opted by somebody else and led by someone outside of your culture. And in this case, I think we live in the United States. If we only allowed Indians to lead yoga or lead Ayurveda, it would take a long time for everyone to access it. And because we're a minority, um, I, I'm perfectly happy for it to be out there. That's why we created Kosha was so that it could be accessible and it, other people could embrace it and own it and live it. It's something so beautiful that it doesn't deserve to be protected in that way. And, you know, likewise, I think people should say namaste if they really know what it means. Um, I, it doesn't, it's not owned by one person, you know, and it actually that's kind of counterintuitive for me in terms of yoga philosophy. There it is. That was very well said. And I very much appreciate your take on, on such a, um, it can be, it can be an uncomfortable topic for people. I think, um, you know, I, I did a yoga teacher training in New York 10 years ago and I, I recognized how sacred these texts were and how important the language was and understanding that, um, you know, some of my teachers would say, well, modern yoga is actually British calisthenics that were sort of, you know, adopted from, uh, you know, colonialism. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to sit with that, you know, and, and I, you know, have gotten the chance to sit with Douglas Brooks quite a bit who, um, it's an incredible teacher from upstate New York that has devoted his entire life to studying uh, the sutras and the Vedas um, from a, in, like an intellectual standpoint, mm -hmm. from a story standpoint. Um, I, 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 you know, I grew up with this astrologer. I just posted Dorothy on my, on my Instagram page and she taught me Namaskar, which I, I mean, I think that's the Sanskrit mm -hmm. um, take mm -hmm. off of Namaste and she, she taught me that as a young person to say, the soul in me salutes and honors the soul in you. And she always gave me the translation of mm. that. This was, you know, late 80s, early 90s, right? This was a woman no very kidding. much ahead of her time. <laughs> um, and I, I think that if we, we can use the translations, um, that's an important piece. I think, I mean, I think honoring the original 
word and the power mm-hmm. of that, like Aum, you know, that, that there is a, there is a power and an emphasis there. But if there's a lack of understanding, ask questions, what does this word mean? Why am I saying it? And does it feel genuine when I am emitting mm-hmm. that frequency of love and light, not to sound woo woo, but really it's about the connection that we all have, the interdependence and the energy that we're constantly mm-hmm. sharing with one another. I think that's beautiful. I mean, oh. it, it concerns me, you know, I think in, in some, in some areas where cultural appropriation is happening, it is absolutely inappropriate. So I'm uh, cultural appropriation is a real thing and it is, um, it can cause a great deal of damage. Um, in this particular case, in my opinion, there, I, I, I worry that people become too afraid and aren't able then, you know, like you're saying, to ask the questions and, and become more curious and um, because they don't want to be doing, they don't want to be cultural appropriation. They, what is the verb for, I, they don't want to be doing cultural appropriation, whatever the verb is. Um, and the the fact of the matter is it's a path right and it's it is these small things and you have to start somewhere and so if you're worried that you're doing it wrong or it's inappropriate for you because you're not indian or you didn't study yoga you c- then you may never begin you can take a yoga class and that might spark something and you might find that that it changes things in you and it is going to, but it's so subtle. And the meaning of the word OM when you're first chanting it in your first yoga class could be very, very different from when you're chanting it five years later. And if we don't allow for people to go through that process, they may never find it. It's a powerful process. And I think that as a white bodied person um, who feels very separated from my Irish heritage and the, the belief systems of, you know, my Irish ancestry, that is something that I've had to dig into for myself Mm -hmm. in the last decade. Um, You know, what, what does it mean to me to be human? Where are these sacred ceremonies and rituals that make life more wealthy and loving and kind. And I do want to share with you, I I visited India for the first time in January of 2019. And I, I had the experience that people have always described, right? The, the contact with community, the, um, the, the very deep contrasts within the society, with the socioeconomics, with, with everything that I saw there. It was just deeply diverse and vibrant in a way that I had never felt before. And, you know, I, I was uncomfortable, you know, being part of a tour group because how else are you going to navigate India in a very short period of time? It was mm-hmm. a very, very long trip. And it was a complete privilege. And I, I wish that I could buy everybody a ticket to go visit something that was so, uh, so different from the experience of my youth, but it, it, it was, it changed me and visiting the sacred sites changed me and, uh, mm-hmm. going to Varanasi changed me. I wanted to bring back the warmth and the experience. I'm like getting teared up about it, but it was, I, I wish that our society 
had heart in that way and less of the mind. And I think that's what you're talking about with these balancings of the, the koshas within our society, that we have too much fire. We have too much desire mm-hmm. and indigestion. We have too much mental and etheric energy and we're all over the place. And what we really need is the grounding. We need that reconnection. We need to have both feet on the soil. And I, I was thinking about this today and, and that if, if we're going to be Americans, anyone who's born here, uh, that, well, and who, and who choose to be here more or less, right. You know, like that choice of be, being a part of this culture is to agree to be a part of it and to really engage with it in a meaningful way to choose to be here and to nurture the earth and to hear you share about how you wanted to pour over this wisdom into your choices and, um, sustainability for buildings, um, I've actually been researching here in Wisconsin. There's a, there's a company called mods that does, um, mm-hmm. steel shipping mm-hmm. container buildings. And I like, that's my vision. You know, if I, if I ever get to build a house, like I want it to be something that has, um, right relationship mm-hmm. is the word I would use right relationship with the earth. Um, so thank you for for sharing so much of yourself today. Um, and I just, I just feel so alive right now talking to you and I'm very, very grateful. Um, so tell us about how we can find out what our, what our dosha is. Like yeah. can we, we can go to your website and. Yeah. So quiz. you can go to <laughs> koshaspa.com, K-O-S-A-S-P-A.com. And um, under our offerings, you'll see our dosha quiz can learn more about yourself. Um, but that's just really the beginning, you know, and it, you don't want to put yourself in too much of a bucket, but it, it's the trailhead. And it's a great place to get curious. Under our wisdom section of our website, you'll find a number of great places to then go from there where you can um, my, my therapist did these beautiful videos during the shutdown. We didn't know what to do with ourselves. So they did videos, um, really how to start with your daily routine, your dinacharya. Those are your daily rituals. Um, what to do, um, for your sleep. We have a bunch of really great recipes of my mother's on there. So these are beautiful ways to start. We have a, an online store, where you can get pretty much everything you need to get started with an Ayurvedic lifestyle and um, with your daily rituals. We've also, um, during the shutdown, <laughs> um, created body care and hair care. So it's just like a really easy way to engage with Ayurveda is to just take a bath every day. But we have um, the hair and body care for your dosha. So depending on your hair, Um, We have special herbs and oils that balance the type of um, mind, even for your mind, you know, the essential oils that you just be smelling in the bath. And so there's so many ways of going about it if you don't live in Madison. um, But if you live in Madison, you should definitely come visit us. Wow. So you, you mean, you were meeting a meet a need that you couldn't find these products and you yeah. created them. Was that the same way with the, with the kitchen? Like how do people, it's only local for the food or do you send meal kits? What, what yeah. kind of things do you have? Well, for the, the kitchen food? is, <laughs> which sounds Ayurveda so good. Ayurveda is um, 
very much integrated with the digestive system is such a huge part of it. So everything we digest, um, our emotions, things in the environment, as well as our food is going to affect our, our mind and body. So food being a primary source and, and that mind gut connection that there's a lot of science that talks about that now, but that was at the heart of Ayurveda, that the mind and the gut are one thing. And so we couldn't leave it out. And my mom went to culinary school in India and she's an amazing cook. And so uh, my sister learned because uh, my mom will tell you what her recipe is, but it will never turn out that way. So my sister translated everything and really codified it and made this beautiful um, and became, got, you know, cr her creative genius made it into all these other great things. And so you, before COVID, you could come and just spend the whole day at Kosha, use our steam room or sauna, be served food in our sanctuary. Um, but for now, it's a meal plan and um, we we serve um, two meals a week and um, they include some lovely items, including elixirs that our, our Ayurvedic um, cook is making. And, um, but if you don't live in Madison, we have like a kitchen kit you can buy and ship it and it has your dal and rice and spice, our spice mix. We have um, our ashwagandha, you were talking about ashwagandha before, our ashwagandha golden milk, um, our chai, it's so good. It's so yummy. It was like based on my grandmother's um, golden milk recipe and our chai, because I can't drink caffeine anymore. I can't have dairy. It tastes like what afternoon tea is supposed to taste like. It's not like when you go to the, the cafe and get that sweet, sweet chai, it's like spicy and caramely and caffeine free and good stuff. So you can get those kinds of goodies on our website. <laughs> oh, I'm so hungry now. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, thank you so much for blessing me with your time, blessing all of us that are hearing this conversation. Um, I really, really appreciate you, Shilpa, and I can't wait to stop by. And well, Madison, Lauren, I'm just so grateful soon. that we, our, our paths crossed and that um, whatever forces were out there brought us together. And this is really um, important it's sort of ceremonious and um, significant for me, uh, auspicious, I should say, because we are reopening in two days and we just spent, my whole family spent the day there at Kosha cleaning. And um, this is kind of a nice way and a, a nice energetic trajectory to, um, to get started again. So thank you. And that was Shilpa Shankaran from Kosha Spa and Retreat, a wellness center based in Madison, Wisconsin. You can find Kosha Spa at K-O-S-A-S-P-A.com, koshaspa.com. And there's all kinds of offerings. If you're in the Madison area, they have, uh, it sounds like a delicious kitchen based on our conversation there. Um, but there's a lot of wellness offerings online. You can do a dosha wellness quiz uh, to find out which body type that you are, or if you have a combination of the three different types of um, dosha. <laughs> I'm a pitta, if you couldn't tell. Uh, so there's a lot uh, to learn here just through their website. And they have an online shop that has all kinds of beautiful offerings. Uh, there's teas and body care, all kinds of goodies if you're not able to get there in person. But they've opened up, they're doing it 
all in careful COVID style for the time being as of this recording uh, in spring of 2021. But again, koshaspa.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Shelpa, for your time, your wisdom, and your, your big heart energy that you're bringing to your community there in Madison and to mine. That's all for this week. Again, this is Inspired Astrology with Lauren K. Hickman. You can find me on Instagram at Lauren K. Hickman or uh, look me up on the internet, energyinterpreter.com, where you can read my reports, book a session, get in touch, find all the ways that I express my my viewpoint of this reality that we're existing in. Um, I appreciate all of your tips and support that you provide, um, whether that's through booking by sharing this podcast with people that you care about. Um, and of course, financial support is always appreciated this. I, I do this from uh, the center of my heart and uh, appreciate my sponsors out there. And if you're interested in sponsorship, do get in touch with me. Um, or if you think there's somebody that I should be interviewing that you know that's that's just as magical as Shilpa or any of the other amazing guests that I've had on here today. Uh, you can find me on Venmo at Lauren K. Hickman through Instagram, like I said. And until next time, stay inspired. <laughs>